0: Welcome to another episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. It's officially episode 13. We're getting up there. Hey, you know, by next year we'll be at episode 20, so this is going to be wild. Uh, I don't know what exactly I'll do by episode 20. I mean, hopefully I'll have like t-shirts or stickers so I can have a giveaway, something like that. And obviously first I have to have a couple more fans than my own family and my girlfriend, so... You know, who knows how that'll go, but anyway, before I begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to No Copyright Music on YouTube. They're the ones creating the music that I'm playing. It's obviously No Copyright Music, so it's free. I'd like to thank you guys for that. With me being a broke college student, I'm grateful for you guys. Go subscribe to them, No Copyright Music. So you're probably wondering, why is he doing the Portland episode like two weeks after the race is over? Well, it's been a little bit hectic here at Liberty University been trying to do stuff with uh, exams and quizzes study for those you know keep my grades up in uh, school obviously that's the number one priority try and do stuff for the liberty flame sports network to get more experience doing stuff with the radio station here at 90.9 the light and then trying to get as much sleep as possible without being sleep deprived which isn't working at all and even you know having a monday through friday uh wake up at six thirty in the morning every single day it's not exactly ideal but you know the uh, Portland episode is happening right now so I'll dive into the Grand Prix of Portland race recap I'll go over uh, the results of that race the standings overview are uh, obviously winners and losers of the week and a lot of IndyCar news has gone on since for, for the past two weeks so I'll get you guys caught up on that and then I'll preview I'll give our uh, normal promo for the championship race in Laguna Seca And I'll also give us some championship clinching scenarios for Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, Simon Pagino, and yes, the Iceman Scott Dixon is still technically in this championship fight. So without further ado, let's get to the Grand Prix of Portland. The Grand Prix of Portland Race Recap. Rookie phenom Colton Herta would surprise the field and start on pole, alongside Team Penske's willpower. And important to note, championship contenders Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, and Simon Pagenaud would start 13th, 7th, and 18th, respectively. On lap one, Havoc would ensue in the first corner, with Graham Rahal locking up the brakes and running into Zach Veach. That would literally throw Veach into bystander James Hinchcliffe, and then during that process, Rahal would get into the side of Connor Daly. That wreck would end all four of their days, not even one complete lap into the race. Fast forward to lap 14 with Ryan Hunter Ray under pressure from teammate and championship contender Alexander Rossi for fifth. Hunter Ray would dive all the way down to the grass to block and he would wind up overshooting the corner, getting into Jack Harvey. Harvey would then show his displeasure by mocking Hunter Ray by sarcastically clapping. Lap 37, leader Colton Hurta on Firestone Reds. He was trying to hang on to his Honda before making it to pit road. However, with Scott Dixon pressuring the rookie, Hurta would be no match for the five-time champion. Dixon would slot into the lead with eyes on getting his name back in the championship hunt. Lap 55, leader Scott Dixon would have an electrical issue and be forced to pit, ending any hopes of a sixth championship fight in the final race. And yes, I know I said a little bit earlier that Scott Dixon is still mathematically eligible, To win this championship however Dixon just simply he's too far back and he needs like bad days by every single other contender to even have a remote shot so Scott Dixon's championship hopes are about five percent likely to happen so he's mathematically still eligible but more than likely he's not going to be fighting for a sixth championship fast forward to eight laps to go caution would fly for a mechanical failure on Santino Ferrucci's Honda tightening up the pack for one final dash to the finish then with five laps to go, Will Power would lead Felix Rosenquist to the restart. Rosenquist, however, would be no match for the Aussie. Power would surge ahead to a second victory in the last three races and tie Sebastian Bourdais for sixth on the all-times win list. And now as we look at the results, Will Power was your winner, followed by rookie Felix Rosenquist, Alexander Rossi in third, rookie Colton Herta in fourth, Joseph Newgarden in fifth, Spencer Piggott sixth, Sam Pagano seventh, Mateus Lace with an impressive eighth place finish, Sebastian Bourdais ninth, and Charlie Kimball rounding out the top 10. And now looking at the NTT IndyCar Series point standings with one race to go here at Laguna Seca. Joseph Newgarden is obviously your points leader, and Alexander Rossi is currently in second, 41 points behind, Simon Pagenaud third, 42 points behind, and Scott Dixon is fourth, 85 points back. <laughs> It's time for your Winners and Losers of the Week, sponsored by, oh wait, no sponsors, <laughs> that's funny, uh, whatever, uh, winner number three, <laughs> Spencer Piggott, for Ed Carpenter Racing. Piggott has been on the rise as of late, and if it wasn't for crashes the past two races, he might have been on an even hotter streak. Starting from 10th, Pigot had to make sure he stayed out of trouble in turn one, especially with a pack of hungry drivers behind him. That idea would get thrown out the window as he'd get tapped from behind by Connor Daly and go around and turn 1. Fortunately for Piggott, no damage would be done to his race car, and he would continue on in 17th after coming in to put on 4 fresh Firestone tires. The timing of the lap 14 crash with Ryan hunter Ray and Jack Harvey would prove to be beneficial for Piggott. He would vault himself all the way up to 6th by lap 37. Piggott would remain in the top 10 for the rest of the race and finish 6th for his third top 10 in the last five races. Pigott has been extremely underrated since his IndyCar debut season in 2016, and he's never gotten the spotlight shined on him like some of the other younger drivers have. Pigott's development hasn't been as quick as guys like Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, and Santino Ferrucci. However, every season he's been able to learn more and more, slowly but surely. 2019 has by far been Pickett's best season in IndyCar, as he's had an average finish of 12.9 compared to last year's 13.6 mark. Some drivers take longer to develop, and I commend Ed Carpenter for allowing Piggott to take his time and figure everything out. I believe next season is finally the year Pickett breaks out and becomes a top 10 driver week in and week out. Winner number 2 Felix Rosenquist for Chip Ganassi Racing It feels like just the other month I was talking about how Rosenquist's job was at stake. Since then, he's been able to notch two second place finishes, as well as two more top 10 finishes to add to that. Obviously, his 2019 season hasn't been full of rainbows and ponies, as he's been pressured by the rumor of Alexander Rossi potentially replacing him, as well as struggling to maintain consistency. However, Rosenquist has weathered the storm and been able to improve drastically since the middle of the season. Not every race has been perfect, but one thing I like to analyze is how drivers respond after a bad couple weeks in a row. Rosenquist has responded strongly after every crash and every mistake he's made in the 2019 season, and that's all you can ask for in a rookie driver. A stellar 5th place qualifying effort in Portland would lead to yet another all-around strong race, and Rosenquist would wind up as the bridesmaid once again in 2nd. Rosenquist's time is coming, and after a strong test at Laguna Seca in March, it might come as early as this upcoming week. Winner number 1, drumroll please. Will Power for Team Penske. Yes, I was that idiot that essentially threw the white flag of defeat in Power's honor the other week after a crash in Gateway negated a potential podium finish. I was just slightly off on that statement. Power comes back stronger than ever, leads over half the race, and smokes the competition en route to his second victory in three races. Yeah, Power's season wasn't the most flawless, and mistakes were made throughout the season. However, Will Power is still the same driver from a season ago that swept the month of May and finished 3rd in the points. From a statistical standpoint, Power's average finish of 9.4 this season is better than last year's 9.5 average. The only thing really glaring is the podium results. This season, Power has 5 podiums compared to last year's 8. Even though that's not much of a difference, I think the only reason Power isn't contending for a championship this season is because of the dominance of his two fellow teammates at Team Penske, as well as Scott Dixon and Alexander Rossi. everyone stepped up their game, and New Garden is proving how being consistent every week is key to contending for a championship. Those minor mishaps on pit road, as well as on track, will be fixed come next season, and I would expect Will Power to be a strong contender for a second championship. And here we go. It is the loser hour here at Behind the Catch Fence, starting off with loser number three, Connor Daly for Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. Daly was riding a wave of momentum and confidence going into Portland, and he was able to notch a season-best 6th place finish in gateway. After being tabbed to be the fill-in for Marcus Ericsson in his Aero SPM Honda, Daly had yet another great opportunity to show owners in the paddock he deserves a full-time ride in the series once again. The weekend started off slow, as it was his first time ever driving at Portland International Raceway. However, after two practice sessions of learning and figuring out the track, Daly was ready to go come qualifying, and he was able to put together an impressive ninth place starting effort. With confidence at an all-time high, Daly was ready to surge up the grid at the drop of the green flag. Unfortunately, his day would only last a couple warm-up laps and half a corner, due to getting involved in that lap one, turn one scuffle with Ray Hall, Beach, and Hinchcliffe. I'm not worried at all about his performance in Portland, well obviously because he only had one corner to prove himself. Duh, but because he just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and got it caught up in someone else's mess. Daly showed plenty of promise in the super-sub duties this season, and I think it'll be interesting to see how he's able to cap off the season running for Andretti Autosport in that mean-looking U.S. Air Force Honda. At the moment, there still hasn't been any rumors as to where Daly might land next season, however, I feel Aero, McLaren, Smith-Peterson Motorsports might be the place. Obviously, Daly and Hinchcliffe are pretty close friends, so there's already chemistry between the two. Secondly, Aero SPM has had Daly to be a fill-in multiple times, and he's had a bit of familiarity with the team and crew. I think it would be wise of McLaren to add a younger, up-and-coming American to their lineup. He could potentially be the face of McLaren's IndyCar efforts alongside Canadian James Hinchcliffe, and would overall be a solid lineup that could really elevate the team for a number of years to come. Loser number two, James Hinchcliffe for Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. I said it a couple episodes ago and i'll say it again james hinchcliffe has had the absolute worst luck out of any driver this season looking at the past four races alone hinchcliffe has been caught up in three lap one crashes all three of which as an innocent bystander he and his arrow spm team have shown great speed for most of the season but in terms of luck come race day you'd be better off trying to find bigfoot in the woods hinchcliffe had great speed the entire weekend leading up to the race once again in portland But he would be involved in someone else's mess in the first corner. Hanscliffe said after the race, I watched the replay and Graham's right side tires are on the white line. If no other cars were there, he wouldn't physically have been able to get through turn one, and I don't know what he was thinking. This is frustrating. Third race in a row we've been hit on lap one. I was joking with the guys. I think we should actually paint a target on our car so maybe we don't get hit. It's unfortunate. We just can't catch a break. Connor did an incredible job jumping in this weekend and putting the aero car into the top 10, and I think we had more pace than we were able to show for in qualifying, so we were really excited for the race. I think we were going to be able to move up and be competitive. We'll never know." End quote. I commend Hinch for keeping all of his interviews as professional as possible in that moment, because any other average human being would have been blowing up in front of the camera and been quick to blame somebody else. With one race left, Hinchcliffe has nothing really to lose, as he currently sits 12th in the standings, still winless. It's definitely not been the best of years for the Aero SPM team, however they have a lot to look forward to, as they begin their partnership with McLaren and Chevrolet. The only piece left is to find a great teammate to run alongside the Canadian superstar. Ideally, it would be great to see Robert Wickens back in the number six for the team, but there's so many question marks still to be answered with his injuries and rehab. With great teammates around him like Wickens last season, Hinchcliffe had his best season overall with Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, where he wound up 10th in the points with an average finish of 10.1, despite missing the Indy 500. The key to more success for Hinchcliffe at Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, I feel, is having a solid teammate alongside him, so that'll be very interesting to monitor as the offseason progresses. Loser number one, Scott Dixon for Chip Ganassi Racing. <laughs> Man, Scott Dixon was sitting pretty for the beginning stages in Portland, as he was able to get around Colton Hurta on lap 37. With championship hopes hanging in the balance, Dixon was able to cut the points gap down to as low as 42 points. However, a mechanical failure derailed those hopes after 11 laps in the lead. In terms of season-defining moments, I still find myself going back to the crashes in Detroit race one and Texas. This is a big if. If those two races played out in Dixon's favor with both winding up as top five runs, Right now, it would be a dogfight between the young American Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon for the Astor Cup. However, sometimes it just isn't your year. Dixon was as competitive as ever, and he did a phenomenal job in attempting to defend his championship. Unfortunately for Dixon, Joseph Newgarden was just on a different level in terms of consistency. On the bright side, I would expect an even better season out of Scott Dixon next year, especially with a more experienced Felix Rosenquist to help bounce ideas and setups off each other during the season. Currently in the NTT IndyCar Series News Center, James Hinscliffe will stay with Aero McLaren Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport in 2020. Co-owner Sam Schmidt told Motorsport.com that Hinscliffe will stay put for next season. Schmidt said in Portland, in quote, James had a year left on his contract with us. And as I've told you before, I always wanted the continuity of going into the next season with at least one established driver with measurable experience and talent and wins under his belt. So there was willingness on both sides to continue as per our contract, end quote. However, Schmidt said that the other Aero McLaren SPM entry next season is still wide open. In quote, James Stan on allows for us to run another veteran if the right opportunity comes up, or a pure rookie if that's the right one. Obviously you'd like to pick up a driver with some high level of experience who has shown promise but honestly it's wide open for the second seat right now." End quote. Hinchcliffe did the right thing in fulfilling his contract obligations with Aero SPM. He's had a great partnership with Aero and Hinch has really helped with growing the team to where it is today. Depending on how next season goes for Hinchcliffe, I feel like Hinchcliffe will look elsewhere to continue his partnership with Honda Canada. If the team continues to struggle with consistency and bad luck next season, I wouldn't expect the mayor of Hinchtown to be with Aero McLaren Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport past 2020. In other news, the 2020 NTT IndyCar Series schedule was officially released. Richmond Raceway will make its return for the first time since 2009 and will replace Pocono on the schedule. A little side note, IndyCar CEO Mark Miles commented on Pocono to NBCSports.com, saying three days before the schedule was revealed, they were still talking to Pocono, However, by that night, the two sides would not reach an agreement. The 2020 IndyCar series schedule is about the same as last year. Just a couple dates are changed and a little bit more of a gap in in between the summer with the Summer Olympics in 2020. So overall, I think Richmond is a great add for IndyCar overall, especially with the new aero package and just the way the turnout has been for Iowa and how great the racing has been there. I can only imagine how well Richmond is going to be. It's going to be a packed out house. Richmond knows how to put on a great show. However, I am a little disappointed that Pocono and IndyCar couldn't reach an agreement. However, I won't be surprised if they go back there in the next two or three years, just to kind of get everybody's head clear from the past couple years with just such terrible accidents. In other news, Mateus Leist is weighing his IndyCar future. With AJ Foyt Racing losing ABC Supply as their main sponsor next season, the young Brazilian is looking at all of his options. According to Laced, he's been talking to other teams, but there aren't really any rides available next season. One of those options Lace is considering is doing part-time driving duties with the team. Lace needs are simple, as he said in an article. In quote, I need to race. That's all that matters to me. The best for me is to do the full season, but whatever I find, I need to race and show people what I can do. I'm too young not to be racing. End quote. Teammate and elder statesman Tony Kanaan doesn't have a definitive future with the team either. A.J. Foyt said in an interview with Racer Magazine that he'd like to have a second car next season, but he still doesn't have a plan on who the two drivers will be. If I'm Mateus Laced, i definitely want to look elsewhere, even if it is a part-time ride. I'd rather be with a decent team as a part-time driver and be able to show what I have in terms of capability to drive a race car instead of being with a team like AJ Foyt Racing, about as near a dumpster fire as you can get. But for Tony Kanaan, I feel like he should stay with AJ Foyt Racing, and I feel like AJ Foyt would be completely dumb if you were to just let Canon and Laced walk and have two new set of drivers and honestly I feel like AJ Foyt Racing has had like two different drivers come in almost like every single year besides uh 2018 and 2019 because I know in 2017 it was Connor Daly and Carlos Munoz and then the year before it was Jack Hawksworth it's just been a snowball effect and I don't know what you're going to get out of just continuing to replace drivers every single year and I feel like the only way you're going to be able to build continuity is to have a veteran and legend like Tony Cannon at least stay for another year and bring in another more experienced guy so you can continue to add on to a little bit of a surge at the latter part of the season and hopefully continue to get better and maybe get compete for some uh, more top 10s. According to Motorsports reporter Adam Stern, NBC Sports says IndyCar's viewership is up 10% after 15 races. Viewership continues to be promising, and with IndyCar to draw in more fans, that number can only continue to go up. Obviously, 10% after 15 races compared to last year is a great number, but you know, IndyCar, they still have a long way to go if they want to be able to compete with NASCAR and then on the European side with Formula One. So, it's a small step, but every little step helps. Another news from Motorsports Insider Adam Stern. IndyCar is working on a short track bonus system for next season where a driver will win extra money if they win multiple races per sources. The short tracks will be Richmond, Iowa, and Gateway. And also a little tidbit with that, a driver will get a certain bonus if they win two, and more money if they win all three. I like this idea, they're all going to be Saturday night races, and it's a great way just to give it more intense action. It'll be kind of like what the stupid Xfinity series and NASCAR does with the Dash for Cash. But, in so, you know, it'll be a great incentive for the drivers, and maybe it'll pay off for better racing. Obviously, the IndyCar series on short tracks has been phenomenal the past couple years, but, you know, if it makes the racing just a tick better, that's all you can ask for. Adam Stern also tweeted today, Friday the 13th. Oh, boy. Better watch yourself, guys. <laughs> This year's Indianapolis 500 weekend attendance was the highest since 2009, excluding the 100th running of the event in 2016, and uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway executives have said the attendance in recent years is around 300,000, but they won't give an exact number. 300,000 fans at one venue! That is absolutely insane. I know just for me when I went in 2017 for the Indianapolis 500, the amount of people when you, you know, it doesn't feel like that when you're walking in the stands or if you're walking in the infield, as soon as you sit up there and you see all the all the grandstands, all the stands in the corners, and then the infield, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a plethora of fans and I have never experienced something like that. And it's one of those rare things that you absolutely have to do before you die. Going to the Indianapolis 500, being with 300,000 plus people that, that's incredible, and there's so many words you can use to describe that. It's an unreal feeling, and that's just insane. The, the fact that 300,000 fans in one spot, you just don't hear that anywhere. And people will say, what about the NFL? Well, the NFL seating capacity is usually between 65,000 to 75,000, around that. So imagine doubling that. Imagine having 300,000 people at an NFL game. You're not going to be able to hear anything, and I would feel bad for the players because they won't be able to hear any plate calling or anything with that. But that's insane. 300,000 people at the Indy 500, that's, that's incredible, and it only bodes well for IndyCar going forward. Another news from my guy Adam Stern, McLaren is moving its U.S. headquarters from New York City to Dallas. So the move to Dallas will make Texas Motor Speedway an important stop on the IndyCar schedule for the English car maker. McLaren's driver lineup for next year hasn't been announced yet with Aero SPM, but Marcus Erickson's return is seen as doubtful. And one more thing from my guy Adam Stern, man, you have to, if you don't follow Adam Stern on Twitter, you absolutely have to if you're a diehard IndyCar fan. Adam Stern is the place you want to go for any type of news, ratings, anything like in the rumor mill. Adam Stern is like the Adam Schefter of IndyCar. You cannot go wrong with Adam Stern. Great content, you can't go wrong. And this is the final thing he tweeted that I will mention. IndyCar will have a bigger presence in eSports next year, but an IndyCar-specific video game isn't imminent at the moment, per CEO Mark Miles, even though he said having one would be terrific. Man, I am so tired of IndyCar not having a, an official video game. Every single motorsport, like major motorsport has a video game of its own. You obviously got NASCAR, Formula 1, even MotoGP has a game. IndyCar, if you want to keep on building up to what you used to be back in the 80s and 90s, you just have to make, you know, find somebody that's willing to do it. Even if it's like a like a branch off of Forza and have Forza be like the main people that created but like in your own separate game because i mean just having a couple cars in forza that's absolutely nuts and like i absolutely love it if you really want the younger demographic to get into indycar you absolutely have to create a video game sooner rather than later and now time for your championship clinching scenarios for laguna seca Oh yeah, it is that time where championship clinching scenarios are officially out and we can look and try and keep track of them as the race continues on at Laguna Seca next week. If Newgarden finishes at least 4th, he'll win the championship no matter what. If Newgarden finishes 5th or 6th, he has to get 2 or more bonus points than Rossi or 3 over Pagano to win the championship. If Newgarden finishes 7th or worse, Pagano or Rossi earn title with a win. For Dixon to win the championship, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. He must win and have Newgarden finish 23rd or worse, and Rossi and Pagano finish 6th or worse, and Dixon doesn't lose bonus points to any of them. So yeah, to keep it short, Scott Dixon is out of this title hunt, in my opinion, and Joseph Newgarden, as long as he just continues his consistent top fives, he's going to win the championship for the second time in three years. And now time for our promo. Next weekend the NTT IndyCar Series heads to Laguna Seca for the final race of the 2019 season. Can Alexander Rossi and Simon Pagino do the unthinkable and swipe away the Astor Cup? Or will Joseph Newgarden cruise to his second championship in three years? The pressure is at an all-time high, and one mistake can completely shatter a team's championship hopes. Make sure to tune in to the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey on Sunday, September 22nd at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on NBC. Before I go, make sure to follow this podcast on Twitter, at BehindCatch, and Instagram, at Behind underscore the underscore catch underscore fence. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you guys later.